This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Whenever a new trend emerges or the zeitgeist shifts, that the new fad is often branded the new rock and roll. Calling startups the new rock and roll isn't a new phenomenon. Even for MSP, it's old news. But are there parallels between music and tech stronger and stranger than we think? Clearly, Matt thinks so. Or I wouldn't be doing this introduction. Matt, welcome to the show. It's not unusual for you to base these shows around articles you read somewhere. What is unusual is that today's show is based around an article you wrote. Are you trying to be the Donald Trump and Fox News? I know it sounds like a cheat. Um, uh, it is kind of tempting, though, right? Closing the loop, becoming your own source of information. Um, but it's not as weird as it sounds. You know, I, I do write less than I did, mainly because there aren't so many places to write for locally. So now it's mostly on my own website and on medium.com. Um, but normally when there is a kind of show and article thing together, it's the other way around. We do the show first and then I write about some aspect of that show or another. Um, and this was actually a piece that I had no intention of turning into the musical theatre that is this show. Um, because normally when I write something, I just hit publish and then I forget about it. But this one, for some reason, has just kind of been, you know, percolating away in my brain. All right. But as, as I said in the intro, everything is the new rock and roll and startups have been the new rock and roll for a long time. And that's completely true. Uh, I mean, comedy was the new rock and roll for a while and video games were the new rock and roll. Um, and, you know, given the amount of money floating around, sports stars are very much still the new rock and roll stars. Uh, you know, I think hedge fund managers probably dreamed of being seen as rock stars. And I may be stretching it a little, but at one stage, 3D printing was the new rock and roll. Uh, the new prog rock, maybe. Well, everything starts with Genesis, so, you know, I'll take that. Um, but look where we are today. You know, startups and tech companies and social media influencers all dominate the kind of cultural landscape. But saying they are the new rock and roll isn't new. We've been saying this for a long time. Yeah, but, you know, when we said it, um, we really meant that these things were trends. So when people were buying PlayStation discs instead of CDs, you know, suddenly we're saying video games are the new rock and roll. Like we were saying, comedians are suddenly packing out stadiums and getting booked to play at summer festivals. So comedy is the new rock and roll. Uh, sports people we've mentioned and, you know, influencers and bloggers before them, they're celebrities now as well. So we say that influencers are the new rock and roll to the point where, for all the attention it gets, our collapsing biodiversity <laughs> is practically the new rock and roll. I don't think we should describe that last one as anything except a catastrophe. But that's kind of the point, because obviously biodiversity or the collapse of it isn't the new rock and roll. None of these things actually is. It's just a lazy shorthand for saying that something is popular. And that's where we get a little bit of difference when it comes to the actual rock and roll and the startups. Do you mean more from a business perspective? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, there seem to be some uh, parallels between these two industries, music and the tech startups. Um, when you're a comedian, you keep most of the money that you earn. And the same goes for sports stars and influencers. Yes, you have people around you, the agents, the managers and all the rest of them who all take a percentage. And how do startups differ exactly? Well, in the other example, as a comedian, for example, that entourage, that support staff 
is taking a percentage of what you earn. In music and startups, it's the other way around. The star or the person with the idea takes a percentage of their own product. So let's say for a second that you're Cardi B. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to take me for Cardi B. Okay, um, what's a good example? Calvin Harris, then. <laughs> um, you know, you've got to deal with a record company for your recorded work. Every time one of your songs is bought or downloaded or streamed, you get a percentage of what that song earns. Now, what percentage that is depends on how big a star you are and how canny your lawyers and managers are in negotiating that percentage. And that's where the similarities with startups really begin. Because startups often rely on other people's money? Exactly. We've become kind of used to the startup model being one where you run for a few years without making any real income and you look for external sources of money. Those investors get a chunk of your business in return. And unless you're prepared to, you know, bootstrap your company or grow less fast or, I don't know, for a really wacky idea, have a company that generates revenue and profits, <laughs> you know, you're looking at this strange model. How does that compare to the music industry? Well, the music, in, the music business is a bit less kind of wonkish. Wonkish meaning? Well, the record company fronts a lot of your costs. They advance you the money to make your records and videos. They give you some money to cover living costs. Depending on how your deal is structured, it's likely that marketing costs will be split between you and the company. Now, I'm simplifying here because music contracts are typically very, very complex. And with 360-degree deals, which are more common now, um, the record company also takes a cut of any live and touring or merchandising income as well. And all that upfront money has to be paid back. Yeah, because it's not free money. It comes with caveats. Uh, you pay it back out of the money you earn. But you have to remember, you're only earning a few percentage points. So those debts can get pretty huge pretty quickly. And how does that link us back to the world of uh, tech startups? Well, it's a numbers game. You're racking up debts in both industries, but it's a low risk for the people lending you the money. Because by and large, if you fail, whether you're signed to a music label or you're looking to break the uh, New York Stock Exchange, no one is going to ask for their money back. One of the reasons these companies ask for high percentages is because you're a relatively high risk. If you weren't, then high street banks would be handing out loans to anyone who said they could be, I don't know, the next Nicki Minaj or Jack Dorsey. And the real world isn't like that. Well, no. Um, Nicki Minaj would be a lot less entertaining if there were hundreds of her. Um, imagine a world where anyone could say they wanted to be Coldplay or, you know, a Bono convention. There simply <laughs> aren't enough world leaders for everybody to meet. And the simple fact is most of us would make horrible music in the same way that most of us would suck at pottery or astrophysics. There's no recipe for surefire success. And that's something that all business ventures share. And so the music industry and the startup scene share an appetite for risk. As I said, this is a numbers game. It's making pennies on the dollar. Otherwise, the investments don't make sense. So the one success, whether it's a company or an artist, has to pay for 20 others that you've invested in that are actually a failure. And you have to make soaring amounts of money to cover those costs. But that risk is spread. And overall, the investments are relatively small in relation to the overall turnover and profit margins. It's actually the artists and the entrepreneurs who have a larger appetite for risk then. Yeah, and also their employees in the case of people who are working for those startups, because by and large, those guys are trading larger salaries at a more established company for a share in the sale or the profits of that startup if it goes public. 
But one thing they all have in common is that they all really need it to work. Usually there's no plan B for these people. There's no hedge. Uh, this is what they've committed their time to for the next probably three, four, five or even more years. Whereas for a record company or a VC firm, it's a portfolio play. Exactly. And for them, the money they give tends to be progressive. In the record company's case, they can pull out pretty much any time it looks like the artist isn't performing as expected or if the market has moved on to another trend. So for a while, you know, mashups were huge. All the music companies were signing and releasing that kind of track that brought together two or more records mm. and made a new one. Now the market has moved on and it's mostly underground producers putting out bootleg mashups on YouTube. And it's the same with startups. The VC will give you funds designed to see you through that round. If you hit the targets and the development looks solid, they may invest again or help you to find investors for that next round. But they still have that ability to walk away. So far, you've painted a picture of the similarities between these industries, but they are very different. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll get to the um, biggest similarity after the break. But you are right. Uh, financially, they're very different. Um, not so much in terms of the firms backing them, whether it's a, a record company or a venture capital firm. They have very sound financial underpinnings and they tend to be cash rich, which is good because their investments are in cash. But certainly the way the money behaves once it's been invested is actually quite different. So giving money to an artist helps them to make tracks and videos and tour, but it doesn't directly make the artist more valuable. But when you give a startup firm money, even if it isn't making any money itself, somehow it gets more valuable. That's just how the game works. But it is very odd, though, because we're talking about the value of an intangible asset, which is potential. Uh, your company is losing money. Uh, people give you more money so that you can carry on making losses. But somehow your company actually increases in value. You know, your initial angel investor might take 50% of your company in exchange for, I don't know, a round of Starbucks and a couple of turkey subs. But if that company appears to be progressing successfully, uh, which in most instances means you're getting more users rather than generating profits, everyone's stock gets diluted every time you have a fresh funding round. And people are willing to pump in even larger sums of money for an ever smaller percentage of that company. So, hey, presto, your unprofitable company, which may be profitable in the same way that we may be able to figure out what dark matter is and where it goes during the day at some time in the future, suddenly this unprofitable company is worth billions on the basis that someone has covered a percentage of your operating losses. And I guess you're mentioning dark matter because you are planning a show on it. Yeah, whenever we have these difficult subjects, I try to seed them into the conversation <laughs> a few weeks before uh, to try and make them seem, you know, a bit more mysterious right. and interesting. And it gives people a, a bit of time to adjust. All right, after the break, uh, we'll be entering the dark world of the dream. We'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Bulldozing fine measures. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. And we're back with me, Jeff Sandu, together with Culture Pop's Matt Armitage, and we are talking about the dream, the startups, the new rock and roll. Uh, Matt, just before the break, we were talking about entering the dark world of the dream. What's the dream? Well, for all the similarities that we outlined before the break, the dream is where 
the music industry and startups really start to merge. The dream is something intangible. It's stardom. It's the idea of impossible riches. It doesn't matter that the odds of winning the lottery are roughly the same as hitting gold in either of these industries. In a predatory way? Well, I mean, the system has evolved so that the odds are never on the side of the dreamers. As I said earlier, to a, a music company or a VC, you're just a product. You're one of many of these products that they hope will succeed. They stand to lose a little bit of money, but your world actually revolves around the project. And there's a time frame that's kind of common to both industries. Delayed gratification. Well, yeah. Um, let's say you're starting out in the music industry. You might be a, a rapper or an indie band or an EDM producer. And we often hear that phrase that such and such is an overnight success. So Adele was an overnight success. Facebook was an overnight success. But that's actually an outward perspective. And it's more of a media narrative than it is a, a kind of objective fact. So whether you're coding or recording demos, it generally takes years of effort to become that overnight success. Like you. Well, my demonic powers mean <laughs> that I have no need of your puny human success. But, um, you know, it is interesting that these demonic myths have sprung up around the music industry. The idea that musicians and rock stars have sold their souls to the devil in exchange for success. Because that music and that success seems to come out of nowhere. And startups and music do have that in common. Uh, We were all very happy when we were using Friendster and MySpace. Um, it might look like a straight line, but it's not actually a straight line to get from MySpace to a company like Facebook. The same, we were happy with predictive text messaging on our feature phones. So how do we actually move from there to something like Twitter? When you look at these things with hindsight, the journeys seem really obvious and inevitable but they certainly weren't ordained at the time. Mm. In other words, a lot of hard work and time goes into overnight success. Yeah, you know, a band might have been together for years before it got signed to a label and we got to hear the music. Um, unless you're really lucky, you know, your song is going to be one of hundreds of millions floating around online. So most people still go through the process of getting some musicians together, practicing, writing some songs, developing their sound playing live and finding a following. And you still don't have a record, do you? No, you're probably looking at a couple of years, probably a lot more before you go from setting up the band to the ink on the contract drying. And then you have your recording, you have to fit into the company's release and marketing schedules. So even if your first single is picked up, it may take weeks or months for that song to gain momentum. And you're saying that the startup scene is the same? It's pretty similar. Um, for starters, it's usually a bunch of guys who have the dream, and it usually is guys. Um, it doesn't matter if it's music or business. It usually involves a lot of sitting around on sofas, eating junk food and watching bad TV. And of course, telling other people, usually parents or partners, that that sitting around <laughs> is actually work and development. <laughs> and you may even be guilty of using that cringy phrase, this is our process. It's like an episode of that 70s show. Yeah, um, which is why that show is so excruciating to watch for many people, because that 70s show is basically the basic ingredients for the dream. So which comes first, the dream or the idea? Definitely the dream. Um, the dream is to do something big, usually together. So the, the dream is usually pretty simple in essence. 
And the idea is rarely the first idea. So most ideas will quickly be shot down and mocked by the rest of the group, which is the correct process. Most ideas are bad. They're superficial, they're half-baked, they're lazy. Occasionally they're going to be terrible. And that's not me being cynicism. That's simply a logical part of the process. So the idea is probably number three or five or even seven. There may even be hundreds of ideas. Uh, ideas often happen late at night and morning brings realisation that the idea was less of an idea <laughs> and more of a feature. Um, Paul McCartney had the idea for the Beatles' Let It Be half in a dream, but we're not Paul McCartney. Most of us would be happy to be Guy Berryman. Who? The Coldplay basis? Exactly. I mean, he's the perfect example who, of someone who has worked the dream to his advantage. He's a founding member of one of the biggest bands in the world, but I imagine he rarely gets troubled for autographs when he's buying disinfectant in Tesco's. All right, back to the idea. <laughs> well, as I said, there may be hundreds of ideas, and it may take hundreds of ideas for you to realise that it was the first idea or the third idea or the 375th idea that was actually the best one, or at least the best that you guys were going to come up with. So for some people, that idea is Let It Be or Twitter. Uh, for others, it's going to be some random crypto app or Lad Baby's single, We Built This City on Sausage Rolls. And that last one actually exists. You can Google it, although it might not be the best way to spend oh five minutes of your life. But what they all have in common is that once it's been decided on, everyone agrees to dedicate their life in pursuit of the idea. But these are the successful ones. Yeah, you know, for these guys, the dream has become a tangible thing. Um, but even for dreamers who get signed or secure funding, most of them are still destined to fail. And the vast majority of dreamers won't even get that far. They'll spend weeks and months and years giving their lives to the dream, never once doubting that they are going to be the next big thing. They'll spend years in poor housing, working insane hours, eating terrible food, years of putting off their lives sacrificing everything for the group and the idea and the dream. It sounds pretty high pressure and intense. Which is why, whether you're Facebook or the Beatles, someone always leaves the band uh, amid petty fights and squabbles and lawsuits and arguments over percentages. The dream has a cost. Well, the biggest cost is always going to be time. Uh, as we were saying, you know, the majority of dreams come to nothing. So you might get a tiny bit of success along the way, a top 10 app in Azerbaijan or a hit single in Greece, enough to make you think it's worth hanging on for another few months. But it's like the one-armed bandit that pays out a small win just as you're thinking of putting your final coin in the slot. Your eyes keep seeing those jackpot signs. And it's not always the best idea that wins. No, because luck and timing are crucial. Uh, it's not always the best ideas that uh, win out, as any fan of Mary My Hope will tell you. Who? Exactly. The best band that nobody but me has ever heard of. <laughs> uh, if Larry Page and Sergey Brin had been a lot more focused on Dungeons and Dragons, we might still be Jeevesing instead of Googling. If Facebook had been a year later, we might all be on MacBook mm -hmm. or using Mac hooks instead of Tinder. <laughs> no, no. no. Um, yeah, no. Um, but what would have happened had Paul McCartney turned over and gone back to sleep instead of getting out of bed and <laughs> heading over to the piano? You know, if few tiny changes and our world would look very different. What happens when that failure closes in, when the money runs out, the doors are closed or the guitars are repossessed? 
I think this may be the cruelest part of all of this. You know, rather than signalling that you should go and do something more useful to society, like, I don't know, make sandwiches or something, these dreamers often pile straight back onto the roundabout again. I mean, how many times have you spoken to people who are on their third or fourth or fifth startup company? Not even as part of, you know, the dream team behind the idea, just as employees. I mean, it's become a running joke in shows like Silicon Valley, the old timer who's giving it one last shake after being part of countless failed startups and whose presence there also tells co-workers that the venture is probably doomed to fail. You know, the music scene is full of those same unsuccessful veterans chasing something that came alive in them in their teens. They're unable to move on, they don't move into the normal world, and they find it hard to build a life or a family or to achieve the pinnacle of life's efforts, which is owning a cat. (laughs) Now, let's assume that we've successfully proven that startups are the new rock and roll. I guess the last question is, are they just wasting their time? I don't know. I mean, yes, I suppose most of them are, but we still need those dreams. So uh, Thank You Next by Ariana Grande is one of the most heavily streamed songs so far this year. It's not a song that means much to me, but the hundreds of millions of plays it's had show that it means something real to millions of people. And it's the same with Facebook. It means something to the two billion people who use it. So those dreams certainly weren't wasted. And the failed dreams? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? For some dreams to succeed, we need others to fail. It's as much a numbers game for us as consumers as it is for the people funding the ideas. The only thing we can really do is occasionally raise a glass and toast those who served to celebrate the apps that didn't make the grade, the software that arrived too early or maybe a little too late, the musicians whose songs never find the audience they deserve because their lives, their unheroic failures are a cost of the success of the ones whose dreams do come to life. So we should say, I think, for those who are about to code, we salute you. So dare to dream then. Dare to dream. All right. Matt Armitage there talking about startups at the new rock and roll. You can find out the transcripts of the show at culturepop.com. It's culture with a K. Or you can even just go on to medium.com and you would have put up the article on yes, medium.com. Yes, yeah, it's been up for a while. Yeah. All right. You can check that out. Geek Squawk is after this. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.